We lost audio. Wait, there we go. <laughs> Sorry about that. Well, I'll start over. There's going to be a lot of splicing that's going to happen in this. <laughs> Craft distilleries are popping up everywhere. Not all are created equal, and we're proud to bring you some of the best, and today's guest is no exception. We're always happy to bring on a guest that has a good story to tell. And everyone, thank you so much for being patient last week without a new release, but we should be getting back on track. I got to experience Oktoberfest in Munich, which was a once in a lifetime experience. So if any of you brown water fanatics can drink beer for a few days, it's totally worth it. We've got next week's podcast already in the queue with Fred Minnick, and it will be available on Patreon for an early release. And believe me, you don't want to miss this one. If you want to listen to the entire unedited and uncut episode, make sure you support the show on Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Bourbon Pursuit. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to noseyourbourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Get 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. And welcome back to the episode of the Bourbon Pursuit Podcast. Just Kenny here tonight. Ryan can't make it. Ryan is doing the family thing. 
wife had to work. He's got the twins, so he had to punt to me. And I, I think we're going to be okay tonight because we've actually got uh, another guest on besides just Tom who I was going to have, and we've actually got his wife on. Now, I'm not going to spill the beans too much, but I, I want to say thank you so much to the listeners of this show because we actually wouldn't have had our guest on tonight if it wasn't for that. So a huge shout-out to Ryan Lenz and Edwin Vargas. Uh, both of these guys came to me and said, you've got to hear the story that these people have to tell. So thanks to these listener requests, and this is the reason why we're going to make it happen. So we actually do listen to your requests, and and not only that is uh, the guests of our show are kind enough to send us a bottle of, of what they're brewing over there. So uh, that was a, that was an immediate. You're 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 coming on the show. So All any right. other anybody else out there that's that's looking for that, you know how to get on. <laughs> we're easily swayed. So. Let's go ahead and introduce our guests. So tonight we have Tom and Leanne Herbrook, who are the Rackhouse Manager and the Master Brewer and Master Distiller of Tom's Foolery. And Tom's Foolery is based, I believe, a little bit around Cleveland, Ohio, but I want to let them tell their story. So Tom and Leanne, welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for having us. Well, good deal. So before we get into talking about the distillery and how it came to be and the origin of your stills, I really want to talk about your history and affliction with maybe whiskey and bourbon in general. So I'll kind of punt it over to you and you all can choose who wants to talk first about how did you really get into, you know, really liking this, the brown water even to begin with? Yeah, Leanne, you want to kick us yeah, off? I think that's all you. <laughs> yeah, well, we've had a couple, a couple different phases. Um, when, when I was a kid, I was really interested in distilling, um, believe it or not. Uh, as, uh, as as young as 13, 14 years old, I was messing around with pots on the stove, trying to figure out how I could take my dad's leftover beer or wine and uh, turn it into something clear. And, uh, you know, that was that was cool. We had a book called The Lure of Still Building, which I, I think you can still get. It's just a little paperback book. But for a 15 year old, it was full of uh, mysteries and, and answers to uh, crazy stuff that 15 year olds shouldn't know about. Um, but uh, fast forward a couple decades and a driver's license and uh, uh, some money in the bank. And um, we decided to see if we could uh, get a permit. And uh, Ohio was really slow with the micro distilling scene. Um, I had uh, tried to um, get a permit in Ohio several times um, when I was 16 years old. I had no money, uh, really couldn't have a distillery. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it was in 2008, we had a barn and we had a still and we said, hey, let's see if we can get a permit for this. So wow, that was that was phase one, right? Mm -hmm. It was oh, kind of like it was, it was kind of like you uh, you started the race before you heard the gun go off, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, you know, I had uh, uh, kids and um, have kids now, and uh, we, we weren't going to go uh, operating a still or, or doing anything uh, uh, that would set a bad example. So, um, you know, what what I did when I was a little misguided uh, youth definitely was not what was happening as an adult. Um, uh, I did um, find his original paperwork from when he was 15 that he was getting to submit to the TTB. So, or was it the ATF back then? It was definitely the ATF. <laughs> so I had it in a shadow box on the wall. It had all the, you know, problems he may encounter, like where will he store all these thousands of gallons of cider and suggestions and comments for getting this distillery up and going and the original paperwork that he wanted to send in to the ATF. Um which they were not going to give him a permanent 16 anyway. But it was kind of interesting because a lot of the same issues of starting up a distillery when he was thinking about it at 16 
for the same issues that we ran into trying to start it up when we were 40. So <laughs> was, uh, he, had, he had it all. His mind was all in the right place. Yeah. So I when guess we, like, when, when we go got ahead. the permit, the, the business model, if there were one, which there wasn't, was just to operate a little 50-gallon uh, moonshine still and to uh, make apple Applejack to distill hard cider into brandy and be able to sell it in Ohio on a very small scale. And uh, we would have been uh, quite happy uh, doing that because that was that was really the plan had it not been for um, uh, an introduction that uh, Chuck Cowdery made. You might know Chuck Cowdery, uh, bourbon writer. Uh, he introduced me to um, David and Baker Beam and uh, David's uh, three sons. And they sold us the Michter's uh, stills that had been in the uh, jug house in Shaperstown at the original distillery. And uh, David, um, re really, that that brings us into the, you know, I'd say, which is the third phase, which began a, a really exciting foray into uh, making bourbon and um, attracted, brought us a lot of attention and a lot of excitement. So at 16, what were you doing that you were still trying to learn? I mean, back then, was you, were you trying to make Applejack or were you just doing shine? And what were, is it more or less just like exploratory process? Is that kind of what you were doing way back then? Well, I was a knuckleheaded 16-year-old who wasn't really doing scientific research. You know, my, uh, uh, when I graduated from um, using pots and pans on the stove, uh, that really happened when my uh, dad brought home a five-gallon uh, Prohibition moonshine still uh, that he bought at a uh, antique fair, and uh, he brought it home. And you know, I, I think I was 15 at the time, and uh, you know, I, I uh, had um, been making apple sweet cider um, for a long time. You know, as long as it could be when you're 15, mm -hmm. uh, for just from trees at our property and the tractor and a little press that we had. So it was just a, a really fun thing that I enjoyed doing. And my friends would come over and we'd make some cider and they'd take it home. And uh, when I saw the still, I, I asked my dad, hey, can we take some of the cider that's fermented and uh, throw it in the still and, and see if it works? And, you know, my dad said, yeah, Tommy, I, I think that's a great idea. <laughs> like every good father should, right? <laughs> Absolutely. This is the 80s. <laughs> so, so I guess what mistakes did you make and you've learned from back then that you've taken to today's operation? You know, I'd say it wasn't so much the mistakes as it was the simplicity of it that I did just amazed me. You could take an apple that's fallen on the ground or it's hanging on a tree and crush it by hand, a little press, uh, do nothing to it other than sit it in the sun for uh, three, four days because it's going to ferment because all the wild yeast that's out there and uh, take that product and distill it twice. And it turns into just a beautiful Vie, that uh, it's 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 to to anybody whether you're 15 or 40 or 70, it's an amazing process. And that uh, fresh V, if you put it on some uh, in, in an oak barrel or uh, back when we did it when we were starting, oak chips, um, it's gonna um, mature into something golden uh, brown, and it, it's just it's incredible. And it, it was it was something that. Um, I immediately was fascinated with for you know, so many different reasons, but to, to take an apple off a tree that grows in your yard and turn it into a, a delicious apple brandy, you know, I, I think a lot of people could see why that would be in, that would be appealing. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think for me back back in my days, so I'm a huge computer nerd, right? And so back then, when I found out that 
I can run scripts and just hack into people's computers, you know, it kind of led to a path where I'm now a computer nerd, right? Granted, exactly. <laughs> boneheaded, knuckleheaded kind of teenager, but it's kind of led to something that, that I am passionate about, right? And I yeah. can I can see it from talking to you. You know, you've you've grown up around it. You're very passionate about it, and you've you've learned a lot. So let's talk about more about the uh, the current operations. So kind of talk about some of the products that you are making. Absolutely. So um, we sell a uh, we make and sell a bourbon, a rye, and the apple brandy. Those are the three products that are out. Although I guess we've let a, a barrel of wheat whiskey go. Mm-hmm. And all of it we've made from scratch. Um, most of it from the bourbon from corn that uh, we grow uh, at our own farm or that my uh, my uncle, Doug Humphrey, uh, grows at his farm. So it's, you know, locally, it's Ohio corn that, that you know, we mill um, either uh, through a little burr mill that we have here or uh, most typically we'll run it through the feed grinder. So it's just if you've ever been on a farm, there's a, you know, a regular implement that runs off the PTO on your tractor. We'll run it through the feed grinder, uh, turn it into a, a pretty coarse uh grist and then send that through the burr mill to make it a little bit finer. And um, so our, our three products are bourbon, rye whiskey, and uh, apple brandy. Okay, cool. So I guess I, I even jumped the gun a little bit, right, in myself trying to ask these questions because you guys also started off at just a, a, a horse or just a regular uh, kind of little thing. And then now you're moving into a, a newer, bigger farm or something like that as well. Yeah, exactly. So um, we are sitting uh, right now in the, the barn, the uh, 30 by uh, 40 barn that is right um, about 50 feet from our house, which is where our distillery is today and where it would have stayed um, had we not uh, uh, kind of let this get carried away with uh, what's going on. Um, so we uh, operated um, here with the uh, Michter's stills for four and a half years, and we sold those uh, two Mectors um, uh, about a year, a little over a year ago, last uh, year ago, July. And um, that gave us uh, some capital to buy uh, bigger equipment. And um, we thought we were going to get uh, bigger and newer equipment, but instead I ended up buying a still uh, that was built in 1775, uh, I believe, 1776 out of France which is uh, being uh, being uh, repaired right now. You can imagine after uh, 150 years, it's got a few things in it. And, uh, right. Uh, maybe so. maybe a few weld spots that needs to be taken care of or something. Exactly. A little, little lead that's got to be removed. Um, <laughs> so uh, doing those uh, items to that 200-gallon still and uh, have a 1,000-gallon still uh, that's being constructed for us as well. And all of that is going to go in a building that we've built at a uh, farm uh, that we own. It's about 15 miles east of here. Uh, we've got 112 acres uh, where we grow the corn, the rye. Uh, we've got two uh, wells, a deep water and a, a deep well and a shallow well. And uh, I think there's three three springs on the property. So it's it's really a great place for making bourbon. So I guess uh, another question for that is, is you've got uh, a multitude of different kinds of stills, right? Because I, we've gone and we've talked to plenty of distilleries and they use uh, maybe just only a pot still for what they're doing, or they've got um, a, a few column stills and you've got a, you got a bunch of little different things. So are you making different products out of every single one? Or are you looking to just, uh, just kind of experiment and have fun, mix them together, however it is? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Um, you know, I think that, um, when people talk about stills, it's really um, helpful if, if instead of using um, uh, column and, and pot, people think in terms of batch or continuous, um, because the most bourbon is made in, in a continuous still in, in Kentucky, 
uh, fast, efficient, uh, works well with uh, the grain and process that we uh, may, that we have to use for bourbon. Um, we use uh, in, uh, exclusively uh, uh, batch stills, and uh, the reason I distinguish between batch and pot is um, it, it makes it more clear. So, what what so sometimes people will refer to as still being a hybrid still, and uh, that could be a pot with a, a series of plates or columns on top of it. Uh, but really, all that does is create uh, additional rectification. And what it is is it, it's a pot um, where you have more um, plates that create rectification. And the reason I distinguish between them is because the pot still, whether it's got um, some plates or not on top of it to increase rectification, um, will uh, require that you um, distill um, in a batch where you can do heads cuts and tails cuts, and the pot will boil for you know four to um, ten hours, and that reactive process will create different flavors that you don't get in a um, continuous still. Um, but to answer your your question, which was really probably needed a simpler answer than I gave, um, we have a lot of different pot stills. Um, I, I think maybe we've used 10 different ones that uh, range from the old moonshine stills to uh, Portuguese uh, lambic still to the uh, Michter's uh, whiskey stills. And, uh, and, and most recently, we'll have a, a custom still, cognac still. And I'm pretty confident that... Um, Based on the speed and the number of times that we distill, we can produce a good product off any of the any of those uh, pieces of equipment. I even think another question I forgot to ask is: so, when did you all really start getting into the the business of it? I know you've been a hobbyist and maybe making on the side, maybe maybe not selling. And I'm not going to say anything. But when did you really kind of get into uh, having the Tom's Foolery brand? You know, Leanne, you do all the, the books, so why don't you comment on the business aspect? The business of, aspect. When, did, when did we become a business? <laughs> uh, when we started selling it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, from day, from dollar one. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you know, it, it is um, a capital-intensive business, and once we had our life savings uh, into <laughs> this hobby, we said uh, we better figure out how we're going to get our life savings back. So uh, we made darn sure that a product that we made was not only high quality, but something that would be uh, marketable um, and there would be demand for it. And so we did everything that we could to make an authentic craft pop distilled, double distilled um, bourbon uh, from scratch that we thought consumers, uh, fans, uh, fanatics would really um, not only enjoy the taste of, but would be, um, you know, like, like the story behind it. So I, that's, I think that's going to bring us to our, our next segment, really kind of talking about the bourbon itself, right? Because as uh, is, is everybody can look at Wikipedia and you can see the rules of what technically makes bourbon. And it's always a, a misnomer what people always think. They said, oh, it has to be from Kentucky to be called bourbon when actually, in fact, it, it doesn't. So kind of talk about uh, your bourbon, what you're doing differently, your your the first bottled and bond that's coming out of Kentucky in 50 years, I, I believe something like that. So kind of, kind of tell us that story. Yeah. Um, so our, our bourbon is um, different than uh, most bourbons that you'll taste um, primarily because it's made in a pot still and uh, without romanticizing a pot or the pot still or saying that it's going to create something phenomenal or the only good bourbon that that's not the case. But it will create different flavors. It'll take, create different flavors because you can do a heads cut, you can do a tails cut, and the product does sit there and boil uh, twice for uh, four to eight hours. And, and it changes the flavor. 
Um, we also are aging in a colder climate, and that will uh, change flavor as well. So, because um, you guys are considered what's called the the snow belt, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did you did you have a chance to taste the the bourbon we sent you? I'm I'm sitting. I'm I've actually got a pour of it right here next to me. Yeah. So All yeah, right. it's open. Me and Ryan. Ryan actually came over. We tasted it. And uh, I'll go ahead and give a shout out to, to Ryan Lentz as well, because he also sent me a sample of the Applejack as well nice. as a sample of the uh, the weeded barrel that you had talked about a minute ago as well. Nice. Oh, nice. Good stuff. Yeah, that went to the cork and bottle, I think. Yeah. Uh, Ryan came and helped me bottle all that. So <laughs> at least the apple. So. He's a good guy. He is a very good guy. All right. So I didn't want to talk, just steer it away. So kind of talking more about the, the bourbon and the, the history behind the bottle and bond and what you're doing. Yeah, so the bottle and bond for us was just a, a natural um, extension. All we all we had to do is uh, be patient enough to wait four years and take our product and stick it in in a in a in a bottle because everything we make is bottled and bond. Um, uh, in that we're in bond and we make it from scratch. We're not buying anything from other uh, distilleries. Um, we're not using neutral grain spirits or adding flavor. Um, but uh, I, I was passionate about the, um, the idea of making a bonded bourbon um, really for, for quite a while. I snagged the domain bonded bourbon um, maybe about five years ago um, just because I thought, hey, this is, this is going to catch on. Just like single malt caught on in um, uh, Scotland, I, I think that uh, a, narrow, a more narrow definition of the, the bottled and bond bourbon, bonded rye, bonded Applejack is going to really start to get uh, fans excited. And, you know, there's a, a great history behind that act, that, that act of 1897, um, which was really the very first consumer protection act in the country. And uh, when it was created, um, it was uh, created really to uh, protect consumers against all the adulterated bourbons that are out there. Um, you know, I, I don't think we have to worry about that now, but it's a really cool part of history and for us, uh, we were just excited to uh, be able to participate in that piece of bourbon history by releasing a bonded bourbon. I'm really glad we did because it brought us some attention. Yeah, I, th I think it has as well, right? I mean, uh, the because the word bourbon, I think, is is right now it's it's the hot thing. Everybody wants to kind of be, you know, have have more of it, whatever it is. And there's so many craft places that are popping up, but you kind of have a, an eye for this a long time ago. As I said, craft places are starting to pop up, but they don't, they're not going to have a bourbon to market, as you said, for a few more years, right? And not only that is, is you're hopping on the bottled and bond train, which, you know, some people, you can take it however you want, but a lot of people are like, they, they want something that's over 90 proof, right? Because some people sure. think that a little bit less than that, you might be watering it down, not getting as many flavors out of it. So I think you guys are on the right track. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. 
take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Leon, I'm gonna I'm gonna push this question over to you. Kind of talk about your your aging process and your rack houses. Well, um, I, I I do all the barreling, so um, I've had a couple of very very cold winters <laughs> where I was out there in snow hats and gloves trying to fill barrels uh, with a, a pump that wasn't wanting to do what I wanted it to do. But um, how cold to get out there? <laughs> it was what was it minus twenty? Yeah, yeah, it was it's uh, unheated and left to, you know to the elements of Mother Nature, so. Um, but we, we made a decision pretty early on that we didn't want to release anything that hadn't been aged at least two years. So once we started this process, um, particularly with the, the whiskeys, um, we knew it was going to have to sit out there for, for two years, but we thought, um, waiting until we had a product that was a straight product would mean something to, you know, people in the bourbon world it might not mean something to everybody, but it was an important, um, line for us. And then uh, beyond that, you know, then we started seeing that, Hey, this stuff's three years and this stuff's four. We have stuff that's almost five years old now, which, um, you know, that, and every time, a big deal. that's a big deal. And every you time know. we taste, you know, something from one of those barrels, it's, uh, it's just getting better and better. Yeah. And I don't know, I've heard that there's like a limit to how long you should age bourbon. Like I say eight years perfect, but you know, <laughs> well, we'll see. But, um, Everyone has a secret recipe, right? And I think you're going to find yours is as the longer those those barrels age and however long you can actually hold on to them, right? Because right, exactly, exactly. So, um, and it's uh, you know part of the reason why we needed to make this move really is because we filled up our rack house, like filled the space. You couldn't, we couldn't put any more barrels in there. <laughs> so it was a good problem to have. But um, in order to keep growing the company, we needed to move get some more space, have more places to put the, put the lovely barrels. But, um, it's, I love the rack house. <laughs> so kind of talk about how many barrels you have aging at this current moment. Um, let's see our top number, I think was about 450. That's a lot. And, yeah. For, for, for the backyard. Yeah. For the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, you can start teaching your kids like how to roll them, right? Or anything like that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We, we put them to work. <laughs> um, and we're probably at around, I don't know, four, three ninety, something like that. Now yeah. 390 out there. There's a little more space to move. Um, which then we're like, shoot, you know, we should, should have those stills back, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> we don't. So we have these other ones. Um, so, uh, I forget where I was going with my line of thought. Tell them how you you get the uh, whiskey from the distillery to the rack house. Oh uh, well, um, to, from the distillery to the rack house. Uh, well, we collect everything in our fifty-five gallon totes, and then we have a. Uh, well, I call Tom MacGyver because he 
you know, can configure anything to do anything that we need. But we have a little contraption on the back of the tractor and we strap the tote onto the tractor and then we drive the tractor out to the roundhouse. It's mm-hmm. it's probably connected with a bunch of rubber bands and paper clips and duct tape, something like that. <laughs> it's actually strapped on very securely. There's a lot of work in those barrels. I've never lost one. Um, but, yeah, uh, on but part of that uh, workaround, you know, getting the tractor and uh, it was just to manage the snow because we, we are in an area where, you know, we'll have, you know, three, four, five feet of snow. It's, it's insane. And to be able to manage um, surviving a January and February through this process, you, you need equipment that's kind of going to drive no matter what snow we have. Right. But with the, the cold temperatures, I mean, I think the theory um, of the oxygenation with the cold temperatures, whereas in the, in the heat of the summer, you get the evaporation and in the cold temperatures, you get more of the oxygenation, uh, oxygen to your spirit, which mm-hmm. we think you know, it definitely gives it its Northeast Ohio stamp, but um, I think it adds something to the the whole character of the spirit in general. Um, and it gets mighty cold, so. I would think so. Yeah, it's what I was <laughs> saying. We got the hot summers and, and cold winters. You've got the really cold winters and pretty pretty decent summers, right? Right. So you're not. Yeah, it can yeah. get pretty pretty. Uh, you know, upper nineties like. For a couple of weeks, so it, I mean that's when it really smells good out there. <laughs> right. Oh, I could imagine. <laughs> so I guess another question to to kind of throw your way is: so you said that you did a, a weeded barrel at one point, and there's a lot of whiskey lovers out there, and they they always say they love their weeders. So is there a an idea of expanding the line to do that, or is it just kind of a one time thing? And you said, no, that was fun, but I think we're going to stick to what we do best. Uh, yeah, we're going to stick to what we do best um, with regard to the formula. We make uh, one barrel at a time, uh, but what I mean by that is uh, when we make a barrel, we, we start with um, roughly 800 pounds of grain, and that 800 pounds of grain goes through the, the cooker, into the fermenter, into the uh, beer still, that, and all the way through the process to produce one barrel of whiskey. And so we can change the mash bill or the formula uh, for every barrel that we make. And uh, so we, we took a lot of liberty in uh, making our um, whiskeys um, with the knowledge that we could always blend them later on. You know, people strive for consistency, and I, I think consistency is important, but uh, rather than striving for consistency of flavor, what we were striving for is consistency of, of quality. And we wanted to go ahead and use different mash bills. So um, we would use a lot of different types of malt, um, a Vienna malt, um, a honey malt, um, uh, you know, different types of uh, pale malts um, in the bourbon. We throw some wheat in some of the bourbon. Um, but for our wheat whiskey, uh, we went all the way and uh, made that 100% wheat. And so the mash bill for the uh, wheat whiskey we made was um, uh, 75% uh, raw wheat. That's just plain uh, wheat grain and 25% wheat malt. Um, so and if somebody really wants to know what wheat tastes like, it's a really great example of what distilled wheat uh, tastes like when it uh, sits in a barrel for, well, I think that was yeah. about three years old. And at the time we were certified organic, which we went through that process for about a year. And then that was a lot of paperwork. And uh, But those barrels were all made um, organic. You can't really label them that, label way. Them that way anymore. But um, so it's all, it's there. We have a few organic bourbon and rye as well, but all the wheat. Uh, was made through an organic process with yeah. 
So that's kind of cool, but we can't really right. <laughs> label anything. Huh? So I guess another question I'll throw to you is, is the name of the brand itself, Tom's Foolery. Right. So kind of, kind of talk about how you came up with the name, what it, what it means to you and, and all those things. Well, I came up with the name. <laughs> uh, Tom was wanting to go with something very, very serious. What was it? Uh, West, Western Reserve no, Distillers. Ohio Distilling Company. Ohio Distilling Company. And um, to me, this whole thing was all about his passion and his love of this whole process and the, the natural process, the, the mechanical, the, the whole thing. And it was, uh, I thought, and then I'd be all, oh, there's Tom fooling around the barn again. He's out there tinkering around doing his thing. And um, I just wanted to always remember that it was uh, a passion, a fun hobby, you know, now it's a business, but to always bring it back to that, like where it started, where it came from, because if we lose that part of it, you know, it might not be worth doing it anymore. Right. <laughs> so just to, to bring it back to the, the pleasure and the joy and the excitement of doing it and sharing it with others. So that's sort of where, where the name came. I just want to keep it fun. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So we also had another question uh, from Ryan. He kind of wanted to pose it. And he said, is there any updates on the new gift shop, the new distillery that you can talk about? Because from when you go to your website and it says that you guys aren't, aren't open for the public yet, but hopefully we can do that soon. <laughs> yeah, everything is still, it's um, baby steps and manageable steps for us because, um, you know, the whole thing is driven solely by us and Tom has a day job. So um, you know, it's a lot of work. Um, so we're keeping it at a manageable pace, but you know, we have the building, we have the still coming, we have the well and the septic's going to go in soon. <laughs> so two wells. So yeah, we had to start from, um, basic infrastructure, which, you know, we knew nothing about that. And we're, you know, trying to contract everybody out ourselves. So doing all the legwork, um, but it's, it's coming along. And I think, uh, actually we're going to go try and clean it all up. And, uh, yeah. So we're, the, we're, we're in the permitting process now. Yeah, right? permitting I'm, process. I'm anticipating we'll have our second DSP permit by the end of Yeah, we're about a mile outside of the um, non-contiguous premise um, delineation that the TTB has set up. So we had to apply for a whole other DSP for the new property. So we, we need to wait for that to come through. But once it does, um, you know, we'll be closer to, uh, and once we have a bathroom, we'll be closer to yeah. <laughs> having people out. <laughs> it's a little important, I think. Yeah. yeah. So Especially you're going to have a bunch of handful of visitors. I'm hoping. So it's, you know, and we've cut, um, uh, the property is beautiful and we've, um, you know, been out there, we've made about a five K's worth of paths through the woods and around the Springs. And, um, you know, hopefully it'll be a, a place where people would want to come and walk and see the cornfields and just enjoy, um, the property as well as see what we're doing and hopefully buy a bottle while they're there. Um, so it's, it's all moving forwards, but you know, every time we give, we try and come up with a timeline then we're like, uh, oops, <laughs> so <laughs> still work in that direction though. It's coming yeah. together. But we're glad we started here on the yeah, property because yes. we have all this, you know, the, the fact that the new property is taking longer to develop is, uh, you know, that's, you know, an annoyance and it's more expensive <laughs> than we thought. Um, but, uh, the good news is we got a bunch of whiskey that's getting older, uh, every day and, uh, Tastes, uh, tastes pretty good. So mm -hmm. we're really glad we started here. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, we, I mentioned the, uh, the water system out of the new place. Um, we, we did sink, uh, two, two wells and one of the wells is uh, 340 feet. It's pretty deep. Um, we went that deep because we were able to uh, punch into a uh, lime, limestone uh, aquifer that uh, was down uh, below, uh, several different permeable or, uh, 
non-permeable uh, layers. And so we have a, a well that goes down there, um, can draw this uh, iron-free, um, mineral-rich water um, out of the, the aquifer. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's great. So I, I'm, I'm pretty confident that that's going to be uh, uh, good for making whiskey. Unfortunately, it doesn't come out as fast as you want. So we have a, a second well that's, uh, you know, maybe at about 140 feet that uh, provides plenty of water for running equipment and washdowns and condensers and uh, that type of thing. Well, awesome. So it's great to know more about your operations. And now uh, you had talked about the bottling a little bit before, and there's actually a, a question from somebody else on Twitter from uh, his name is Brian Harkless. And he says, I've seen two different colors of wax for the bottle and bond. And he said he has white and I've got like this. And for anybody that's listening uh, and if you sub subscribe to being a Patreon listener, I sent the link out so you can actually watch this being recorded um, showing my bottle right now. And I've got like a, almost like a copper color to it. So he wanted to know, is there any differences? There's just like the, the color of wax that you just happen to have that day. Well, well, our, our regular bourbon, our straight bourbon is that copper color. So when we went to the bonded bourbon, we're like, well, we'll use the copper, of course. And it was actually our distributor, Craft Mind and Spirits down in Maryland. They're like, hey, maybe you should use a different color of wax. How about white? And we're like, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then when we put the bottles side by side, it was, you know, maybe if they're on a shelf together, it might be a little hard to tell them apart. So we just switched the wax up so you could tell the difference between the bonded product and the regular product. So oh, the white's a little hard to open though. White's a little hard to open. The wax is just, it's stiffer. So it's funny, these little technical things you, you uh, might take for granted, but uh, they, they really make a difference. They do. Um, <laughs> and we do take some liberties um, with wax colors and sometimes we'll mix it up or, you know, we, we, uh, we're bottling up uh, uh, for, who was that Chicago? We're bottling up two barrels of mm -hmm. bourbon and a rye. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're doing them at the same time. So we had two wax pots going and I was like, hey, well, let's do a multicolor. And uh, so we were messing around with the max wax dipping in one color and then drizzling the other color on top of it. And uh, I did comment to my wife. Uh, I said, Leanna, I hope, uh, hope these guys aren't going to be mad. That these are all messed up. And what did you say? Uh, you said we're craft, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think when Brian Lentz was out helping me bottle the Applejack that he probably sent you, um, the Cavs had just won the championship and I happen to have wine and gold wax. So we waxed those bottles of wine and gold for, uh, well, I know you got to support the home team, right? <laughs> you know, so it's kind of fun. We get to play with the wax a little bit, but we were trying to settle on the white for the bonded products just yeah. to set them apart from their, um, straight products. Yeah. But I think Chicago is going to be happy because I handpicked those two barrels myself. Yeah. Yes, were, <laughs> I think they were really dynamite. Well, fantastic. Right. So I guess uh, the last question I'll kind of pose to you, um, you know, is there any states where you're, you haven't been distributing to yet or is there some markets you want to get to or most people that are they're hearing this, they, they want to go out and try to find a bottle. Is it pretty readily available in most states at this point? Go ahead. Uh, well, we, we, uh, we're actually not looking to expand distribution right now. Um, uh, KNL Wines in California um, they, they'll send to anybody, uh, Vinny's in Chicago, uh, they'll, they'll of course mail out, um, uh, cork and bottle. Uh, they've got, uh, some stuff, uh, of ours, um, uh, uh, Lincoln source. road, party source, Lincoln road. Lincoln road and, uh, We're in New Jersey, Maryland, Maryland, DC, Il um, and Ohio. And Ohio. And with those States, um, you know, we're kind of, um, you know, we, we have a limited amount of inventory, and, and so we really want to make sure that the distributors that have uh, carried us 
and the restaurants that have put us on their menu aren't getting uh, shortchanged. So we're probably, uh, well, we're not going to expand distribution. We're going to uh, try to work on our Ohio market and um, uh, really uh, try to um, make sure we service the people that have uh, already committed to us. Well, that's awesome because every single one of those stores you just said, K&L, Benny's, all of them are always known for having um, large selections as well as really good barrel picks. So I think you're, you're, yeah. in, the, you're, in, the right, you're in the right stores already. <laughs> so uh, last question I'll, I'll throw to you all and, and feel free to kind of, uh, you know, be creative as you want. Right. So what do you all really think that makes your product more or less? I wouldn't say less, but what's, what makes it unique compared to other kind of bourbons or kind of other craft whiskeys that are on the market today. And I, I will say that I'll already say that I'll, I'll give you kind of a, a thumbs up saying that, you know, you didn't just start a year or two ago. You've already been at it. You've got four year old bourbons. So you've, you've got uh, a much better product out there than, than some of the other craft ones that I already have today, just because age does bring character and flavor over time. But if you have anything else to add, please, please do. Go ahead. We might have different answers. Yeah, we got <laughs> well, this was was the last night we were bottling, or two nights ago. Two, or two, two nights ago, we were uh, Leanne and I were out here bottling uh, late, uh, trying to rush an order. Right, Sunday. Uh, Sunday night, and uh, uh, you know, I, I, I said to, to uh, Leanne, "Gosh, if the consumer actually knew how what went into this, they they would really, really be excited about it." Um, because the, uh, the the bottle that we were just like every bottle, um, we um, milled the corn, we grew the corn, we milled the corn, you know, we, we pitched the yeast, uh, we, we uh, pulled the uh, back set, we cleaned the still, we did the cuts ourselves, um, uh, we aged it in, uh, you know, full 53-gallon barrels, um, you know, and, and we tasted it along the way, which was a really fun part of it. And if somebody's interested in pot-distilled traditional sour mash uh, bourbon or rye whiskey, um, you know, that, that's, you, we got it and there, there's nothing, um, commercial or big about us. Um, maybe there will be someday. Um, but, uh, I'd, I'd say what makes us different is if somebody's interested in craft, uh, we've got craft. If somebody's interested in quality, uh, we really uh, made sure that we have quality in the bottle. What do you, what do you think? Honey? Yeah. What's, I, how are we different? Well, that's, I was thinking of the same story. <laughs> <laughs> besides, besides, as you said earlier, before you actually started recording that you two are the people that do everything from sweeping the floors to bottling, to barreling, to doing everything like that. Right. So. Yeah. yeah. Maybe yeah. you have some now. We got a uh, Lorelai helping us with sales and another guy, Joe, who's helping us uh, try to figure out how to get our stuff in more stores. So, um, you know, what? I, I, I know that we're at the end here, but I'll, I'll tell you, I was a little bit surprised. Uh, when we, you know, we're the second distillery in Ohio uh, since Prohibition. I, I thought that Ohioans were going to be really excited to have a authentic craft bourbon made here. And what I found is that um, the demand is in California and uh, and Chicago and uh, out out east. You know, the the coasts um, really are a little bit more passionate about craft, and Kentucky as well. By the way, so we are down there. Um, hopefully Ohioans catch on because I really want to serve our local market. Well, I think they will. I think uh, I can tell you from looking at the statistics of listeners that actually listen to the podcast, I think Ohio is in the, the top eight states for actually listening to the podcast. So don't worry. I think wow. you're going to get, you're going to get into some more years to tonight. So 
Well, the, the more we get out, um, we've been doing more events in the last two months than the last eight years. And yeah. uh, people are like, what? You're from Chagrin Falls? Like, I mean, they really, we, we are not good marketers. <laughs> no, but people find us. Every, every, every non-Ohio state that we're in they called us. And yeah. uh, um, it, I've also loved the fact that um, we've had some really prominent visitors uh, come up and stay with us from the big distilleries mm-hmm. in Kentucky uh, we had one uh, master distiller come up uh, with us, stay with us for a whole week before they opened up their micro distillery. Um, so I find that the big guys, as much as uh, you know, I really respect what they do, um, they're pretty fascinated with what we do because we're doing it in a way that maybe uh, their companies did it 150 years ago. Right, right on. Well, Tom and Leanne, I want to say thank you again for joining me on the podcast tonight. If anybody wants to learn more about you all, where can they find you on social media? Oh, our Facebook page is hard to find. <laughs> it's like Tom Foolery Farm. Yeah, or, or www.tomsfoolery.com. <laughs> well, sounds good. And I'll make sure I put it in the show notes as well. So anybody that wants to find it, you can find the I'll link. send you a there. link. Yeah. Twitter, yeah. where nobody's full too, because I didn't understand Twitter <laughs> when we were signing up. <laughs> we make good bourbon. Yeah. <laughs> we are not computer geeks, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd it's like to thank uh, like people like Edwin and Ryan who have been here and like really believe in what we're doing and pass their information around. Um, that helps us out a lot as well to have people like them that are so passionate and fun. So, well, fantastic. So make sure you follow them. I'll make sure I put the links in our show notes. Make sure you follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at Bourbon Pursuit. Sponsor the show at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash bourbon pursuit. Uh, if you have any other show suggestions, such as the one that we had on tonight, or if you have any comments of uh, things that you'd like to hear, uh, if you want to be able to hop on and ask questions during the live broadcast, make sure you also support us on Patreon. Uh, with that, we will see you all next week. <laughs>